You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. That sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hello, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. We've got Ben right there. He's a preacher, he's a teacher of sanity. Hello, Ben. Hello, Nathan. We've got Jake right there. He's the pastor who's a master of sanity. Hey, what's up? Nothing. 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 Huh. Recording Sound of Sanity with my pals. All right. My chums. Hmm. The meat that I think should be thrown to sharks. Is that what chum is? Yeah, that's what chum is. All right. It's apropos then. I don't really think that Jake and Ben should be thrown to sharks. Thanks, Nathan. We are going to talk about some books. Jake, what you been reading lately? I finished The Black Swan, which Ben talked about finishing on the last episode. And I don't actually have much to say about it. I found it to be not nearly as compelling as Anti-Fragile or as dense. I remember talking about Anti-Fragile. I didn't is one of the few books I did not listen to at two times speed. By the time I was done with Black Swan, I was listening to it on two and a half times speed. And some of that, I think, is to Taleb's credit. I think the concept of the Black Swan took hold. I think this book was published in 2007 or 2006 or something mm-hmm. like that. And so it's been part of the zeitgeist for 15 to 20 years, something like that. And the concept has taken hold. So it didn't need as much explanation, defending apology and I had some basic understanding of it already. And a lot of the concepts and things that he talks about in that book are things that he reviews or alludes to in Anti-Fragile. So I had already had some of Taleb, some of his thinking and some Black Swan stuff already under my belt when I went back to Black Swan. But it was still, he's a fun writer. He's interesting. He's entertaining. And he's Like, I think, a really good intellectual and a good writer, he's able to explain all of his ideas and thoughts in a way that most people can understand. He may come up with a a name for an idea that isn't necessarily clear or easy to trace, but I can have Taleb on in the car, and any of my kids can follow along with some of the basic ideas that he's talking about, which is just the mark of somebody who's actually really highly intelligent and a really good communicator. I think the world's full of faux intellectuals who think that to be intellectual or erudite is to cover up, to spout jargon and to pose. When actually it's being able to understand, to explain your high-minded ideas in terms that a 12-year-old or a 5-year-old could understand. And Taleb definitely passes that test quite a bit. But he's, I don't know, he's, I found this read to be more annoying and, you know, I think probably Anti-Fragile had a little bit more success and therefore confidence behind it. So he didn't feel as... Defensive? Def- as defensive or as... Uh, ha! You all had me on my heels, but now I'm the winner. Whatever. There's some, there's some Yeah, this is a little bit more... He's definitely, by the time you could say Anti-Fragile, writing from a stronger position, right? He's been validated and has... And his ideas have taken hold and taken root. Whereas I think Black Swan's early enough that he's feels like he's fighting uphill, maybe fighting a losing battle and shouting into the void and trying to get attention. And so it, it definitely feels, it doesn't feel as, as strong in that sense to me either. But he's a smart guy. 
and and it was a good read. And can I say my prejudice, having read maybe a chapter or two of Black Swan and knowing nothing else of the man's work besides what people tell me? Can I say what my yeah. prejudice? And then you can say, Nathan, you're a dumb, you dumb ding dong. That's not what this is. Yeah. Or you can say, yeah, that's kind of what this is. My intuitive sense is that I'm not that interested in these books because I won't actually walk away with something that I can use. I think that is true of Black Swan, and I think that's not true of Anti-Fragile. I think that was part of my frustration with Black Swan as well. All Black Swan left me with was, you can't predict the future, and so don't bother. Yeah, okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. Anti-Fragile is very different, actually. Anti-Fragile, I think, was full of all kinds of pretty practical wisdom and insight on a just sort of a day-to-day level. I listened to it while we were doing our summer proverb series. I listened to it over last summer, and I found things that Taleb said in Anti-Fragile finding its way into into my thinking as I preached some of those proverb sermons, and maybe most of all, the last one, the final one that I did. And I was really looking forward to that sort of thing, coming to Black, Black Swan, and I didn't get it yeah. at all. That there, there was nothing... In fact, part of the reason why I listen to Black Swan, uh, if I'm being honest, is I expected it to be so fertile with ideas. And I had just gotten back on Twitter and I expected it to really be inspiring me, both inspiring new ideas, new thoughts, fertile with ideas that led to insights that were going to enhance my, you know, I'm tweeting now. And also come back to just to bring another layer of maybe insight or whatever into my preaching. None of that happened with Black Swan. I can't think of a single thing. Actually, I can think of one thing that I've, that is a handle that I held on to that has a little bit of utility, but it's not practical utility. It's just like an argument. And it's just this little analogy that he has about the difficulty of whatever you say about the difficulty of predicting the future, which is the case the book has really been about, it's actually infinitely harder to reconstruct the past. And so the analogy he uses is an ice cube. When you take an ice cube and you can set it on a table and you can tell people, okay, take a marker and predict, draw the pattern, predict how wide it will be and the shape that it takes when it melts. Nobody will get it exactly right, but they'll have an idea of by looking at the, and maybe able to make even some calculations if they're sophisticated by looking at the size of the cube and whatever, how much water there'll be and whatever. But if you came to a puddle on the same countertop, you would not be able to reconstruct anything. You wouldn't know how it got there. You wouldn't know that it necessarily that it was an ice cube before. And if you did know it was an ice cube, you couldn't begin to reconstruct the shape of it, it could have been in any number of shapes. You have no idea. It is actually as impossible as the future can be, or as difficult as the future can be to predict. Reconstructing the past based on what you see and the conceit that we have about reconstructing it, it's a fool's errand. It's folly. It's impossible. And we have so much pride in our ability to think that we can reconstruct the past, but that just goes with our constant need to have some kind of narrative explanation. And this is part of the way that he talks about all of this is we just need a story to tell. And so everything makes sense in retrospect because we are constantly constructing a narrative or a story 
to to make sense of it. But that narrative is almost never true. And I'm and he's and he'll say I'm not even saying we shouldn't do that because we need to do some sense making. But the idea that we can oh now we've understood it all and now we can predict the future is just nonsense. So that's like the whole book. Right. But that little metaphor that'll be the one thing that I take. Whereas there's so many things with anti-fragile that are worth revisiting or taking or holding on to from any from all kinds of practical perspectives. Whether you're talking about immunology, for goodness sake, or just simply how we grow, growing under stress and under pressure, and the goal being not resilience, but anti-fragility as a twist or as a framework, and how you cultivate that on any number of personal levels, any number of professional levels, on any number with your family or with your church or with your community. It's just, there's a world of layers to that. And he just cycles through and around all of them in a way that's really fun, really engaging, and really true, I think, rooted in how God made the world and what God says about it. Not that he is trying to be biblical, but I also think he's made he's progressed some too in his Orthodox Christian faith by anti-fragile that brings some of that to bear as well. And I've not read any, well, actually, <clears throat> I have, I did also download Bed of Procrustes and dabble in that a little bit, but that that's just like going through his Twitter feed or something like that. It's just a bunch of assim- assimilate, assembled one-liners, either from books or little things that he's written here or there, maybe even from tweets. And some of them are quite clever or quite funny, but they're just aphorisms. Right. So anyhow. Cool. Those are my thoughts, I guess, on that. Yeah. So yeah, I think your prejudice or your thought regarding Black Swan is right. And if that's what you want, I wouldn't bother completing it. I did because Anti-Fragile sold me enough that I want to have read to lab. And right. so I I did some, it was a bit of a slog relative to the other. And that's why I finished on two and a half times speed. But that's my inner completionist, which to you were credit you don't have so i it was the first one i'd read and i kind of loved it but it's definitely more abstract it's more you want to hear a lot about these ideas lay a foundation kind of play in this world with me i think it gives you it helps to train your nose to spot pretensions to predict the future i think it does a good job at that it's fun introduces you to a lot of thinkers and stuff as you go that you're like Maybe I would read that guy someday because he sounds really interesting. So he'll, he does some of that stuff for you. Well, it's in, it's engaging with Daniel Kahneman quite a bit. He's the author of Thinking Fast and Slow, who in Thinking Fast and Slow is also engaging with Taleb. So that was the other thing that huh. was kind of annoying is I had also been, and it's still sort of working my way through Kahneman. Huh. And so it's like a whole lot of the same. So it felt really redundant to you, it sounds yeah, like. that's right. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> Although Kahneman's going to have more practical stuff about him too, but really it's just like, how do we get at the truth of anything? And how do we understand our cognitive biases? Yeah. I'm realizing as you talk that this, I'm not trying to say anything prescriptive for anyone here, just describing something about me. I, it's not even that I'm ruthlessly in search of something that I can use. It's that, Whatever it is that Kahneman does and maybe some of what Taleb does, I really don't want it. I find it threatening. I there there are processes that go inside go on inside me that I do not want to know about. And I don't know why. I just think that sometimes when you dissect the frog, you kill the frog. 
And I don't know that I want to say anything more about that or that I have anything else to say about that. But there's something that I don't like about the chemical combination between those kinds of books and myself. And I wouldn't even be able to tell you what what other book like that is. I mean, I don't mind like a, I think he's kind of stupid sometimes, but I'll read Malcolm Gladwell or something like that, who's dabbling in a pop way with some of that stuff. And I won't feel particularly threatened by it. Yeah, I mean, Blink is just a really popified take on Kahneman. And I don't. And Kahneman's going to do, he's going to pull up studies and show you some more of the details of how you fool people, how people are fooled, how you've been fooled, how your intuition's been appealed to in a way that's manipulative and you've been manipulated, or how your intuition's been shut off by somebody when you should have listened or paid attention to it because it would have been right. Yeah. And all kinds of little tricks of that. Kahneman's going to lay a foundation that Robert Cialdini is going to use a lot of in his book called Influence, which, so this is, Kahneman really is a source doc for a lot of really actually helpful downstream things. And I think Influence by Cialdini is one that lots of people should read. But Kahneman's not one that lots of people should read necessarily. No, not necessarily. I think you can find a lot of things downstream Mm. that are more practical applications of sort of his opening things up that are maybe more more useful and less examining how the guts of the frog and more understanding how the frog moves. Yeah. Maybe an analogy for what I feel about some of this stuff, and I'm not going to be able to say this perfectly, but it's like I spent my whole life learning how to play tennis and no one's ever taught me the proper form. And I've learned to, now I'm a pretty good tennis player with my form. And somebody comes along and says, actually, let me teach you tennis. And I'm like, you're going to have to deconstruct everything I can already do to do that. And then leave me in a weakened position. Right. And I don't actually want that. That's not helpful to me. Maybe if I was 20, it would be helpful to me. It's not helpful to me going on for What's What's the tennis game then in this analogy? Maybe just intuition, maybe discernment, maybe some of those things. I don't know. I'm not. I don't want to scare anyone off of these books if they think. Yeah, they'd be helpful. I, I don't think that that would actually happen with Kahneman, with yeah. you, or with most people. I think. I don't think it would happen with Black Swan personally. Yes, Black Swan was more just. I don't know how interested I am in this. Sure, but yeah, I'm describing a prejudice, which may be entirely false for all of these things. I just thought it would be interesting to describe it. Yeah. Anything else to say about that? No, but that's what three of. Four books that I've I've done or been listening to, or yeah, at least that I want to talk about. Yep. So do you want to just I have save? a couple more that I don't want to talk about, but that's okay. Yeah, there's one more book that I just started, and I think I might really like it, but I've I'm pretty early in it. It's called Habits of the Household by Justin Early, and it's one of those books that I don't remember who recommended it. But it was a somebody who recommend their handful of people in real life and maybe online that if they recommend a book, I might just go auto download it and then get to it when I get to it. And this is one of those. I know that I saw it somewhere or that it was recommended by somebody I trust. I auto downloaded it. And then I've just been waiting to get through Black Swan to start it. And this is not the kind of book that I would normally like or that I would think I would like. Because it's, this is a whole, so it's called Habits of the Household. And he uses the word liturgy a lot. 
And there's this sort of hyper-spiritual way of framing the household and the household liturgy of... The father is the pastor of the household. And there's this like spiritual rhythms and spiritual movements and everything's liturgical. And we say that in order to apply a sort of hyper-spiritual patina on everything we do so we can feel better about what most people would simply habits and patterns and whatever else. Yeah. But we use the word liturgy, so now it feels a little bit more mystical and we mm-hmm. feel better about the fact that we hate our families, right. which is the kind of seething undertone that you get in that kind of world. But this isn't that, or this doesn't feel that way at all, uh, at least to me so far. This is more just sort of like, hey, sacred, that's the word I wanted, sacred. Sacred patina over everything. This is more like, we all have habits we all have patterns. We all have uh, rhythms to our lives. And here's an idea. Take control of them. Be aware of them. First step is to recognize patterns. And so you have to recognize the patterns in your life that matter. And then you can change them. You can have different habits. You can have different patterns. And so he starts with the story of the bedtime routine always being send the kids upstairs and then yell at them until they finally get their stupid teeth brushed and get cleaned up and get in bed. And it's just the moment he realized this thing that I do is a, it's a pattern and it's a habit and I engage in that. And it's not something that simply happens or that happens to us. And there may be any number of triggers and there may be any number of things, but I'm the responsible one and I can change this but I have to step outside of myself and I have to recognize the pattern and I have to decide what I want that to be. And so I've used the word liturgy for myself to simply acknowledge I'm giving my kids a habitual patterned religious experience, whether I want to or not. And it's bad. And I can reframe that and I can change that. And if I don't like it, I can change it but it starts with recognizing that these are habits and patterns. And and he talks about waking up in the morning and how the habit, the household habit, the household pattern is we're just, everything's about being there on time and we're all running late. And so this is how we talk to each other and this is how we frame it. And this is, it's all just a stressful mess. And that's actually all inside of our control as parents. And we can actually change that. And so it feels actually very concrete and very grounded and very down to earth in a very not hyper-spiritualized way, but in just a kind of practical as potatoes, Proverbs kind of way. It's just reminding you, you have a say over these things. You don't have to be ruled by them. You don't have to be driven along by them. If they're habits, if they're patterns, if they are routines, they're routines that you've set. You're the dad. They're habits that you've set. And just like any habit, just like any routine, if you've set a bad one, it's going to suck and be really hard to break. But you can do it. But you've got to figure out. You've got to get ahead of it. You've got to be intentional about resetting things and proactively putting something in place instead of passively sliding it into bad habits. So whether it's yelling at your kids or you know whatever it is, mealtime stuff, mealtime problems, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm really early into the book, but that's just sort of like how he frames it, how he sort of lays it out. And then he wants to just walk through a day in his household and talk about how much it sucked and the things that he's done to change things and say, you're 
different. Your family's different. I'm not trying to tell you to do it my way. I'm just saying this was really helpful to me to start thinking this way. And I worked, my wife and I talked through this and we worked through this with our whole lives and it's really transformed and made things really nice and maybe it'll be helpful to you. And so, I don't know, it might be end up being a really helpful book. It might be the kind of book that I want to pass on to people, but I definitely recommend so far hitting up against it, even if there are things in it that end up being stupid or counterproductive or whatever else. So, cool. Great. The book is Hab- Habits of the Household by Justin... Early, I think, or Early. Or... Justin Whitmill Early. Yeah. And I don't know where he's coming from biblically. He's definitely a Christian. He lays out a pretty clear presentation of the gospel early on. That's good. And he's a lawyer. He's not a pastor. I remember that much. And I and again, I don't remember where that book came from in terms of recommendations. But one of his lines, habits lead the heart. And we think that our hearts form our habits, but actually our habits and our routines end up forming and shaping our hearts as an early line. Nice. That I thought was good. I look forward to getting a little deeper in that book and uh, reporting back on it. Mm-hmm. But cool. that is definitely one that parents, especially parents of young kids, he's writing and he says that his oldest at the time is 12 and he's not pretending or going to try to talk about what it means to have teenagers. But he's talking more to households with young kids. So if, if that's you, you might find this one interesting and helpful and useful. Nice. It's definitely the kind of thing you're not going to get. I don't think you're going to get much utility out of it if you don't process it along with your husband or wife. That makes um, sense. Because it's yeah, it's a you have to be on the same page about this sort of thing. These are some wholesale changes. You can read it and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. But yeah, you wanna you wanna be able to process and be on the same page. Nice. That's great. The habit wheel, by the way, bedtime, waking, meal times, discipline, screen time, family devotions, marriage, work, play, conversation, and bedtime. If anyone was curious. It's on the front page of his website. And it looks like he's got helpful things to say about every one of them. Pretty cool website. Yeah, I'm trying to not oversell this because I am still early in it. But I'm mm-hmm. pretty excited because I you just don't find many things related to parenting in the household that are actually just humble, grounded, concrete, and practical and genuinely helpful. Yeah. You find abstractions and you find hyper-spiritualizations and you find things that you can sympathize with or things that are high-minded or whatever else. But this is just like on the level of, I want to say it's on the level of what we would want to do or what we would want to say. Like when we come to the end of like a men's night and we've got our- Super practical. Our super practical one thing to do and to work on this month type of a thing. But again, I'm early. And if, I don't, if the next chapter is, now the button, real habit you need is to sacrifice a goat to Satan, then we'll get back to you. Yeah, we'll get back to you. Uh, but but, but uh, I, feel, I feel really good about this book uh, so far. Just from hearing you describe it and even looking at the cover, Jake, it, what it reminds me of is uh, back in the day I read about ABA, which is, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's Autism Behavior Therapy. Not the American Bankers Association. It's not the American Bankers Association. ABA is a kind of therapy behavior therapy that you you can train in to help applied op- behavioral analysis thank you thank you and uh, you use it to help autistic kids it's kind of like instead of trying to mystically change these children who can be so difficult and can make life as a family so challenging what you're going to do is you're going to make very concrete plans and rituals and habits that will help them like structure their own minds and structure your family's life 
And I just, I, it, I've read that it, it's pretty successful. There's ABA places everywhere now, and it's cool to read about. So, no, you can't get inside that kid. You can't change their heart. You can't control them. You can't, but what you can do is all these routines and stuff that will have some kind of transforming well, th- effect. there's this thing, and, I, and it's something that, you, if you've been around us for a long time, if you've listened to us for a long time, you've heard us talk about this sort of thing, and it's something that we've been exploring and working through more and more. We've preached through Proverbs twice now, the three of us in this room, and there is a there is a, such a practical wisdom to, well, well this uh, spiritual maturity and spiritual wisdom, biblical wisdom and biblical spiritual maturity is not simple. It, it is so connected to simply understanding habits and patterns and your environment and having the maturity to say, hey, when I get into this situation, I am inclined to fall into this kind of sin. Therefore, instead of trying to be spiritual and strong, the spiritual thing to do is to order my life in such a way as to avoid the situation, to break the pattern, to establish patterns and habits in my life that actually honor God and protect my soul and protect those that I love. And yeah. And this book seems to be, yeah, that's right. And so mm-hmm. set aside all of the, for a minute, not that we don't want to talk about the gospel and you mm-hmm. know, shepherding a child's heart or whatever, but let's just talk about how we actually lead our lives and run our households in a way that well i have a toddler and i'm uh, as you've been talking i've had in the back of my mind some book i read that really explicitly spiritualized discipline it was like when you spank the kid it must begin with a confession of sin you know it's it's a worship service actually they explicitly did this whole thing so you take the kid into the room and then you begin with praise you say a prayer and then you have a thing there is something in me that is so repulsed by that because I'm like, the whole wonderful beauty of spanking that people who are scared of it don't understand is it's so quick, it's so easy, the kid is back to happily playing with their toys in two seconds after you're done. The whole beauty of it is that it's actually simple for you and for the kid. And to have to add all this stuff onto it so that it just becomes this ritualized exercise, it's turning something really practical, something remarkably practical into something that I think God actually didn't intend for it to be. And so, yeah, I've just been thinking about that. And there's so many things, I mean, that's one example, but there are so many things like that where it's just like, all right, we're going to sit down at six o'clock and eat our vegetables and that's going to be good. And we'll worry about inculcating the desire for nutrition later. Actually having well-ordered home is going to do more to inculcate that desire for nutrition than any kind of weird strategy to get your kid to eat whatever god actually made us well it's it's a pendulum swing right because there's reactive movements away from structure because they've seen dead structure without any sure. life in it and then there's reactive movements away from we have to focus on inner life because it's like that becomes a giant mystical cathartic self-hating mess without any structure so there's just all this swing back and forth but yeah now somebody's gonna listen to this and be like, oh yeah, I know who that guy is. He's associated with Bethel or actually he's a Mormon or I don't don't know what, I don't know what. 
Okay, go ahead and tell us that. But this still may be a book that you can you can spit the bones out of if such bones exist. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Well, as we've come to Evansville and we've moved away from a principally reformed world into a world of people from mainstream Christianity or no Christianity are coming to our little church plant, it's pretty fascinating to see where people without any particular training in godly parenting get it wrong. And it's actually pretty fascinating to see in some households where they get it. Yeah. And, and you'll see households where you're like, they didn't have anything. They didn't have any real foundation to build on except for that probably her parents were good and his parents were good and they just brought that with them. And yep. so they had good habits and a well-ordered home yeah, and love. And, and love. It was a shocker. There was love. They can make a lot of mistakes and do a lot of things that we would disagree with. And if they have those basic kind of things in place. They're ahead of 95% of people out there. And then we see the opposite where we meet people who are seeped in the Bible, people who are seeped in Reformed theology. People they've read are, all the books. They've read all the books. They have all the principles. They have all the stuff. And they're from broken homes and they have no idea how to apply them in any way. Right. That is actually, and maybe there's, maybe the one thing that's lacking is love, actually. And that's part of. And structure won't fix it. And yeah. Yeah. And they're driven to structure because. They can't solve the problem of their hearts, and it's so. So I, all of that to say, if it turns out this guy is a Mormon or some big Eva annoying guy, he might actually still have a lot of good stuff to say. And I'm not sure that we'll apologize for recommending this book if it, as long as it doesn't take a left turn. Yeah, so far I have no apologies to make, and I really don't anticipate having them. And I don't care. This might be a guy that I want to have come speak at our church for a retreat or something like that. For all I know, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll see. But I look forward to coming back and reporting back on it. I see he's the kind of guy on Twitter who's going to retweet anyone from Brett McCracken to Jason Wilson. So probably a lot of terrible people and a lot of good people on sure. Twitter could be described by that sentence. Probably so. so. Probably so. Yeah. So. Just because somebody's in the mainstream doesn't mean they need to be spat out of our mouths necessarily. Right. No. Right. Especially if they're helpful. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with our little... Uh, ghettoized strain of reformed Christianity is we, when we spit out a lot of mainstream normies, we often spit out a lot of good principles with them and a lot of ability to connect with and actually help people who are just trying to be godly Christians in their mainstream, normal American way and they don't know any better. The other thing we do is we waste a lot of time rewriting their stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, well, here's the reformed version. It's like, you could have just given them the the, book. the actual the, book the, that the, everybody the, reads. It's like, fine. You didn't have to regurgitate it, yeah. change the wording a little bit, add some... Reframe it a little bit and put some uh, some reform jargon into it. They just give them a Nirvana CD. They don't need DC talk. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> an easy way to get Seattle music. Or... Give them good taste. Yeah, or give yeah. them, or better yet. <laughs> That's right. Give, give them, them a Carmen CD. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Then they'll understand spiritual warfare. <laughs> okay. Those are my books for that I've been, cool. I've been And when I say, let me just pull up. Okay, so I'm listening currently at 2.2 times speed, and I have four hours and 40 minutes left. Oh, no, I don't. I have four hours and 40 minutes left of this book total. Okay. So you're like two hours on. So if I pull it up real quick, 
Let me just see what. Now I have two hours left, and I am on chapter two. Okay, so I've made it through his introduction and through chapter one. That's it. I am all of an hour into this book. Okay, so there it is. That's my disclaimer. But cool, sweet. We'll report back to you if there's anything to report. All right. If you want to suggest books we should read, if you want to tell us we must talk about articles or topics, then the way to do that is be part of our Discord. The way to do that is to be part of our Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee a month. You know, I always say that, but that would be an expensive cup of coffee. Five bucks is a lot for coffee. For the price of two cups of coffee. <laughs> not tipping, you cheapo. Because if you tip, it's like three bucks. For the price of less than two cups of coffee a month you can be part of our patreon it's at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity we've got a good group of people talking about things on patreon a lot of fun and we appreciate you helping us determine the contents of these episodes so patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity i would also appreciate it if you would leave a review for this podcast we could really use some new reviews in your podcast app of choice five stars obviously in which unless they'll take more in which case give the maximum amount of stars that you can we don't want any fives out of a hundred if it's like a hundred star system we'll be very disappointed we might even say oh no it's not coming up monster kill that's not what we'll say wrong i meant you're a loser loser you're a loser loser Leave us a review. Ben, what should the review say? It should say, hey, this was a really fun and helpful podcast that gave me a few handles on things going on in culture and the church and some interesting book recommendations and a good conversation between three friends. That was a pretty good review. Yep. All right. Till next time. Stay sane.